Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. I really appreciate you taking your time to hang out with me. And this week we have the number four, the fourth episode in a series I've been lucky enough to do with Mr. Charles Savoy, who has been researching the Elusive Pilgrim Society for quite a long time and has the best research on this group. And so if you've listened to the other episodes and if you've read his information on his websites then you know a little bit about it but this week he's going to take an even deeper dive and give us some names of some people we might know some we might not but these are the power players of the pilgrim society so this is a continuation of what we've been doing and i've really been looking forward to it so without any further ado charles take it over and fill us in on your information first of all I did have an interview last July 16 on YouTube, uh, my NACO 64 channel. And one of the people commenting says about me, says he hardly ever gives an interview. Say what? I never get invited by any channels. Now, what disqualifies me from interviews? Apparently because I'm not trying to get anyone to purchase something from me. Sessions are only for members of the pedigreed personality popularity profile panhandling peddlers parade. All these interview channels have intentionally acted to block their listeners from having this knowledge for years. There were several complaints about my eight opening words in the July 2021 session, notably by a crass boor in Maryland who cleans sewers. I was totally misunderstood in my many years of selfless research, which I set out to give away for free, are entirely trashed by several little personalities with no years of research of their own to offer for free. 
and we're picking it the way I opened. I could be bringing life-saving water in the desert and be condemned for what I was wearing. Going forward, I will have little to say about objectors who have no contribution to make to exposure of sinister persons. Now, the Pilgrim's Society claims to be desirous of fostering friendly relations between the United Kingdom and the United States, which is code language for using American power to advance British imperialist conspiracies. They used to be openly called an empire after World War II. They called it a commonwealth, but it's the same thing. But if friendly relations is the only thing that the Pilgrim Society wants, why do they have to keep nearly all of their identities, identities secret to do that? So hokey Pilgrim's organization. In the December 1975 American Opinion magazine, Gary Allen in an article called Building Communism, page 39, correctly concluded. Now this is wild, but I've seen it in the the things that I've uncovered. It just it's just totally right on. He said, it is now clear that an arcane conspiracy backed by finance capitalists in the United States has been behind the Reds from the beginning. Now that could be a topic of a whole other discussion about the American-Russian Chamber of Commerce, the National Council for U.S.-China Trade, and all other kind of entities that they've had, the Asia Society, the Japan Society, and its involvement in World War II. We'll save that for another time. Now, there, there is or was an Italian-based website called Disinformazione Italia, and they said the Pilgrim's Society remained hidden until relatively recent years to identify the apex of power. Montana Congressman Jacob Thorkelson in the Congressional Record, August 19, 1940, referred to an address by Joseph H. Choate, an attorney for the colossal Vanderbilt Railroad Complex, one of the founders of the Pilgrims, as saying that those who would, many years later, celebrate the start of the second century of the Pilgrims in 2003, quote, will have cause to bless their fathers that they founded this society and kept the world on the right track, unquote. Now, these Pilgrims have been all over all kind of international conferences for over a century about uh, fisheries, satellites, anything you could think of, boundaries, and uh, these worthy gentlemen are the same dangerous international monetary termites. People like the grinning Robert Keats and silver doctors would have you never become aware of, since there's no angle in it to get your money into their pockets by having me on their interview channels to provide details. A secret society slamming silver for generations and gold too is of no interest to Chris Marcus, Dunigan Kaiser, Elijah Johnson, the flaky silver doctors, and their peers, including Dave Janda, Greg Hunter, Wall Street for Main Street, Zero Hedge, Breitbart, and all the rest. Note that their pal David Morgan did have my research at his site for 17 years, and it was consistently ignored, possibly at Morgan's request, to hold me captive as a mere subsidiary flunky to his paid subscription selling campaign. On May 28, 2020, 
Mike Maloney, who has 653,000 subscribers, admitted he got his alleged purported education on the causes of the Great Depression from Federal Reserve sources and the Dirty Mises Institute. And Mike said the Fed caused the Depression. And in 35 minutes of a display of deceit or ignorance, he never mentioned England's attack against silver money as causing the Depression. This guy, we'll do a whole another episode on that when we can. This guy presents as an expert, but he's talking re retarded barnyard nonsense for proof of my position. See my July interview at Maneco 64, who may have decided to not bring me back. Acidic feedback from other channel operators, probably. I can't speak for him. I only know I was promised to return and it hasn't materialized. I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt you there, but uh, I just wanted to get this in quickly. Uh, you know, I've for this, well at least up until the last couple of years, I kind of broke away from the conservative camp because I just felt like they weren't really serious about changing anything. You know, with every president, we get more debt, more terrible laws and regulations. So I kind of moved over to the libertarian side, the more conservative side, which would be the Mises side instead of the Reason Magazine, Cato Institute side. But um, the more that I, in the last few years, have, have kind of followed those guys, you know, they, they have some great ideas, yet they won't, most of them, will not touch the Rhodes Roundtable, you know, the, these different groups. They won't talk about the CFR. They definitely wouldn't talk about the Pilgrim Society or how all these interlocked and interconnected groups are working together and get into every presidential administration. So, and I've even tried to get these people on to talk to me about it and nobody will even get back to me. So I can't help but think that there's some kind of controlled opposition. And now I'll let you get back to yeah. what you were saying. Yeah, my, I did a little write up on Mises or Mises Institute and they're extremely goal centric in the goal centric faction caused unbelievable suffering in the United States a few years after the uh, Civil War, which is terrible in itself, but they they bankrupted uh, millions of people by bribing Congress to demonetize silver. You couldn't use silver to make any payment for any transaction if the transaction was more than $5. So people lost their mortgages. They lost their uh, cargoes coming in from overseas on ships. It just caused uh, a tremendous transfer of land to the gold-only faction. That's another area. If you want to read about it, you can go to silversteelers.net and click on silver mining kingpin opposed silver money. And oh my God, the subversion that they did in D.C. in fall of 1872. Now, um, in my warnings against using private vault storage services for gold and silver, diamonds, valuable objects. I intended also to warn against using the Texas State Bullion Depository. People got revved up due to the language of the legislative bill which created the depository where it stated that the federal government could not come and seize the contents. That's great. However, nowhere in the bill are depositors told they are protected from the state government of Texas seizing the depositors bullion. A Texas Department of Public Safety cop can shoot you every bit as dead as an FBI agent. I strongly counsel to avoid the Texas Bullion Depository 
as depositors are not protected at all against the Texas government stealing their hard-earned property. Politicians have so many dirty tricks. Don't make yourself vulnerable to these disgraceful, disgraceful spooks. Now, we're going to get to specifics on the, the pilgrims here. On pages 484 and 513 of America's 60 Families by Ferdinand Lundberg in 1937, he mentioned and never mentioned Pilgrim's Society, even though some info was then available in Who's Who books. He said, he spoke of the clans whose selfish activities have tormented the American public, public for many years. The members of the power-minded upper ruling class that see everything in terms of their own interests. Every repressive and fascist trend in the United States can be traced on the record in some way to this ruling class. Now, there's a book came out in 2015 by John Baselmans called The Hidden World. On page 240, he said, or he spoke of, an ultra-secret organization known as the Pilgrim's Society. Now, back to Montana Congressman Jacob Thorkelson. He was denounced as a Nazi sympathizer because he wanted to keep America out of the Second World War. Uh, we're going to be used by Britain again for another attempted world government after the war. This is in the Congressional Record, August 19, 1940. You may have heard it before, but for the sake of those who haven't, it's brief. He said, there are several curious things about these pilgrim functions. In the first place, there is present at these dinners an array of notables, such as would be difficult to bring together under one roof for any other purpose and by any other society. Now, let me comment on that real quickly. At Bilderberg, uh, over the years, in the last few recent years, last 10 years, five years, whatever, they've had participants like the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, the mayor of Brussels, Belgium. Well, these are transitory uh, officials of large cities. Well, guess who wasn't there? His Grace, the Duke of Westminster, who literally owns London and owns huge swaths of land across the globe, but he is a member of the Pilgrims. Now, who are you more of this colossal realty kingpin or a transitory real estate, a transitory city official. See, Bilderberg just isn't where it's at. It's a distraction. Now, April 19, 1941, page five, Christian Science Monitor had a very rare blip mention of the Pilgrim Society. We note, quote, to go through the list would reveal a dossier of some of the greatest men of our time, unquote. Not that rosters are available to outsiders, nor are they posted at the Pilgrim's website. A New York Times article dated December 13, 1973, page 28 said, quote, the society's presidents have usually been ambassadors. Members and guests are diplomats, high-ranking soldiers, or other men of distinction in many fields, unquote, but no roster in public view. And uh, Sir Harry Bertain, one of the founders, said in Pilgrim Partners, 40 Years of British-American Fellowship, published in uh, 1943 in London by Hutchison and Company on page 85, said, quote, the cooperation of many minds has been necessary to give the pilgrims 
the assured position the society operates. Well, I call them the pilgrims since they own pharma that makes trillions of pills and they steal grams of gold and silver from miners and taxpayers. Okay, now Gary Allen, who was the guy that actually got me started down this road back in 1972. Well, actually it was a little earlier than that. He wrote uh, an article called A Look at Establishment Newspapers in American Opinion Magazine for September 1970, page 15. And he said, quote, the elitist pilgrim society seeks to merge the United States into the British Commonwealth as a base for world government. The major international banking firms, that is the bullion banks, on both sides of the Atlantic are well represented in the Pilgrim Society. Now you can Google it. Even Trump has said we should join the British Commonwealth. You cannot trust Trump. Trump. Chump Trump. Now the following month in American Opinion Magazine, Gary Allen article called Teleslick about TV news channels said on page 22, the Pilgrim Society sometimes called the world's most secret organization, has as its goal the reuniting of England and America. And page 22, same article, the super secret Pilgrim Society, whose official logo is entwined American and British flags, is dedicated to merging Britain and America. Now in the short run book, 2003, The Pilgrims of the United States, in which they could have but did not post a 2003 roster. Page 37, they said, we are very particular as to who we let in, unquote. They let in people opposed to silver as money, people who looted millions of their finances as victims, warmongers, and those advancing globalism. Now, you have to understand that, for instance, you could have somebody who's in the pilgrims, but not in the CFR, and somebody that's in the CFR, but not in the pilgrims, and while admitting the pilgrims are a higher ring over the CFR, the particular CFR member could be much wealthier and more powerful than a particular pilgrim member. Now, <clears throat> let's clarify this. It's obvious to me, after looking at this thing for years and years and years, the pilgrims is in three circles. There's an outer circle, which would be most of the members. There's a mid-circle, which would be where members start to get very wealthy and powerful and able to influence events at a high level. And then there's the inner circle, which is extremely profound, people who are guiding the organization, which probably includes the Astors and the Windsors, to name two. Uh, and some of these outer circle members are in there just as pets, literal pets for the powerful members. Like there's a woman in New York City, an art community official named Gina Polara, P-O-L-L-A-R-A. She's only one of two people of Italian ancestry or Italian name that I've ever found in this group. The other guy's name is uh, Rogicki, and I think he got kicked out because of stealing $4 million from one of their foundations. Well, they they do have some uh, people in the group that are not very powerful and not very wealthy, 
but they're there just as pets. Now, as we go, we will see some of the more powerful people in there. Now, note these remarks by an early member. Quote, Great Britain could count upon every dollar, every man, and every drop of blood in America. Unquote. Spoken by Whitelaw Reed, R-E-I-D, Pilgrim's Society member, owner of the New York Herald Tribune, and ambassador to England, 1905 to 1912, also in the Congressional Record, August 21, 1940. Now, Whitelaw Reed became son-in-law of Darius Ogden Mills, Pilgrim's 1907 roster, who was once the wealthiest man in California and played an inner circle role in the crime of 1873, nationwide silver demonetization, which facilitated fantastic land seizures by the gold-only faction. Mills owned gold mining interests, started the Bank of California, and was a heavy holder of railroad securities, real estate buildings, and mansions, and was a founder of Niagara Falls Power Plant Corporation. Whitelaw Reed's grandson, Ogden Reed, Pilgrim's Society, voted for the 1965 Coinage Act, taking most silver from our money supply, and Ogden Reed became ambassador to Israel. Ogden was a member of Book and Snake Society of Yale, a counterpart to Skull and Bones. When people talk about Skull and Bones is the only super fraternity at Yale, no way, pal. They have other groups there, too, notably Scroll and Key, Berzelius, and others. Ogden's aunt married into the family of the Earl of Dudley, and a member of the same Dudley family was until recently president of the New York Federal Reserve Bank. Now, we're going to go over some specifics here. William Nottingham. Yeah, Nottingham. From the 1903 roster, Year of death uncertain. Descended from a very old English family tracing back into the 1200s and had an ancestor by that name who was with the English invasion force into Dutch New Netherlands in A.D. 1664. The William Nottingham in the 1903 roster turned out to have Dutch ancestry also. The, the Dutch and the British reached the Concordat um, and the Dutch who pledged allegiance to the crown of England were allowed to keep their estates in the New World. And uh, the Pilgrims USA has a whole lot of Dutch uh, in there, uh, blindingly wealthy, as it turns out. And this William Nottingham was a director of Auburn and Syracuse Electric Railroad, Great Lakes Steamship Company, Syracuse Trust Company. He organized Commercial National Bank, trustee of Syracuse University, and once president of the New York State Bar Association. They're all over the American Law Institute and major uh, law groups uh, nationwide, just quite invisibly, of course. Hey, here's another guy, Ferdinand W. LaFrance, L-A-F-R-E-N-T-Z, 1859-1954. He was responsible for Wyoming becoming a state. He headed the American Surety Company of New York which had 8,000 insurance agents in all 50 states, Canada and Mexico, and a huge revenue stream coming his way. He was chairman of the trustees of Lincoln Memorial University. One of these uh, interesting pilgrims meetings 
that took place in 1915 was on the anniversary of the assassination of Lincoln. Now, Mr. LaFrance had influence with Wyoming governors and the University of Wyoming and considerable land and cattle ranching interests there. And he was a member of the Anti-Silver Bankers Club in Manhattan and a trustee of Central Savings Bank. Charles Rushmore, death, 1931, a prominent New York attorney for whom Mount Rushmore in the Black Hills is named, the Presidential Sculpture Mountain. He helped finance the sculpture and he handled mining claims in the Black Hills. Rushmore owned a 25-room estate and had as clients most of the big silver antagonistic New York banks. Charles Hayden, death, 1937, financier prominent in Hayden Stone Investment Bank. Hayden was on the boards of 89 companies and was prominent in an Arizona copper mining and smelting. There's even a city named Hayden, Arizona. His name isn't in the 1934 roster just three years before his death, but it does appear in the 1936 list, just in time apparently for his huge wealth to be transferred into unknown trusts run by members. Kennecott Copper, Utah Copper, International Nickel Company of Canada, Mack Trucks, New York Trust Company, Chicago Rock Island and Pacific Railway, American Locomotive Corporation, Cuba Cane Sugar, Brooklyn Manhattan Transit Lines, etc. He was on all these boards and many more. He also was a member of the Anti-Silver Bankers Club in New York City, and he endowed several planetariums. Francis Fitz, F-I-T-Z. Francis Fitz Randolph, death 1973, descended from the Randolphs, who are regarded as the first family of Virginia Colony and the Adam and Eve of Virginia. Randolph was a Wall Street financier and treasurer of the Russell Trust Association, which controls Skull and Bones Society at Yale University. This Episcopalian was senior partner in J&W Seligman and Company Investment Bank. Yeah, that's a Jewish name, but he was an Episcopalian. Some of the Seligmans have been in the Pilgrims, London. And uh, Randolph was on the boards of Globe and Rutgers Fire Insurance, Bowery Savings Bank, Union Service Corporation, Triconinale Corporation, National Investors Corporation, Broad Street Investing Company. This is all in the who's who in America, by the way. American Home Assurance, Newport News, Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company, Missouri, Kansas, Texas Railroad, International Life Assurance, American Reinsurance Company, Whitehall Fund, Insurance Company of Philadelphia, etc. Trustee of College Retirement Equities Fund, Trustee Vassar College, decorated by the government of France. He was on the war loan staff of the U.S. Treasury at the Paris Peace Conference in 1919, and he was chief of the Paris Bureau for Armenia and Romania of the American Relief, Relief Administration in 1919. That was a scam to loot the taxpayers, by the way. Okay, here's one that died in 2017. Robert H. Wadsworth, descended from the founder of Hartford, Connecticut. Wadsworth family, among other interests, owned Meteor Crater in Arizona, which is usually referred to as Behringer Crater Company. Alden Freeman, death, 1937. Son of a Standard Oil Company treasurer, Freeman was the spearhead force 
behind the passage of the 17th Amendment, allowing the Pilgrim's Society to seize working control over the United States Senate, wresting it away from state governments. Before that, senators were directly elected by ordinary vote. They were, uh, were um, excuse me, they were not elected by ordinary vote. They were elected by vote on the part of state lawmakers, which would ensure state representation in D.C. As of the 17th Amendment, it became so much easier for Wall Street pilgrims to control both sides in Senate races as they didn't have to buy off entire state legislatures. Now, Charles Van Rensselaer and William Van Rensselaer, both in the 1914 roster, descended from Stephen Van Rensselaer, who died in 1839, another old-line Dutch colonial land fortune, in fact, the largest of those. Wiki states that Van Rensselaer was the 10th wealthiest American to date in our country's history. In 1783, he married into the Schuyler fortune, another Dutch land fortune of enormously massive proportions. How many tens of billions, possibly more than that, the Van Rensselaer lands have become worth as of today is a very closely guarded secret. Now, guess what? Elvis was a Pilgrim Society member. Elvis <laughs> J. Starr, S-T-A-H-R, death 1998, and he was Secretary of the Army then president of the National Audubon Society, radical conservationist, and a director of Chase Manhattan Bank. He was first a Rhodes Scholar, and he married into the old line Howland family, a second-tier Pilgrims Society dynasty that owned the largest fleet of ships in New York Harbor in the 1820s. The Howlands had been associated with Brittany Capital Hedge Fund at 666 Fifth Avenue, New York, and a director of Google is presently married to Howland. A quick note, 321 Gold website has 100% free mining stock picks and some very excellent ones, making all paid newsletter subscriptions with alleged premium content practically rat hole money drains. I was looking at 321 Gold's write-up of I-80 Gold in Nevada, and I noticed a board member on I-80 Gold came from Davis, Polk, and Wardwell, a major Pilgrim's Society law firm for Wall Street banking and pharma interests. Yes, the society is invested in early stage gold mining and undoubtedly figuring how to drive small investors out of gold. They like us to all get shaken out at low prices. Now, here's an interesting character, Sir Alfred Jones, death 1909. He is remembered as, quote, the uncrowned king of West Africa with major banking, export, shipping, mining, agricultural, landowning, and industrial interests. J.P. Morgan Sr., death 1913, was called almost Lord of Creation biographer Cass Canfield. Lots of hoopla about Morgan working with the Rothschilds. However, he also worked with other London financiers and with the Drexels. Morgan was fiduciary for numerous dynasties, including the Berwins, who at the time were the biggest coal miners in the world, 
and other groups, including the Dorances of Campbell's Soup. Now, James B. Hagen, death 1914, remembered as the greatest mine owner on earth. In fact, the greatest mine owner to date in history. With 160 mines, Hagen's astonishing life is detailed in Silver Mining Kingpin opposed silver money. See start page at silverstealers.net. The dossier on Hagen is still incomplete at 287 pages. Regardless of his much lower profile, he was regarded by many as among the four wealthiest Americans in his later years. And his great-great-grandson, a resident of Kentucky, is in the 2014 Pilgrim's roster. Now, Hagen is uh, one of the rare individuals who had conflicts with the Rothschilds and treated them pretty much like retarded children every time, warning them, quote, the difficulties are yours, not ours, and you must prepare for the consequences. Now, I've got this all documented in Silver Mining Kingpin opposed Silver Money, and I haven't found a Rothschild in the Pilgrims since the 1974 roster. I have found proxies to be sure. Now, you got to realize that although Cecil Rhodes was financed by the Rothschilds and also by the uh, some of the royal family in uh, the organization of what became De Beers Diamond Mines, guess what? What happened in 1906 when they unearthed a gem quality diamond of 3,106 carats in South Africa at one of the mines? Uh, did it go to the Rossos? No way, pal. It went to the King of England as a dividend. Now, uh, I want to take a break here for a moment because I'm getting a little tired. <laughs> wow, man. That's incredible. It, it's just, it's amazing. There's no industry or even a lot of these other fields that they don't have a hand in. And it's just uh, all over the place. It's like the the spider with a thousand legs. It's no wonder that nothing hardly ever changes for the better, no matter who you vote for, no matter. That's right. They, they control it all. One thing I wanted to mention, I think that you may have briefly mentioned him before. I was kind of interested. Now, Churchill, he was a Pilgrim Society member. Oh, absolutely. You know, we've been, as, as conservatives or libertarian kind of leaning people, we've kind of been led to believe that he was this great statesman and maybe he was great for you know england but uh you know he was kind of uh he was connected to the eu he you know there he wanted to build a, a world government and uh i feel like that he was kind of like one of these guys that they chose to put up as a leader like kind of like they do some of our guys and and kind of you know they knew that he was controllable and they probably wanted the same things that he did so do you think so too Oh, absolutely. They have uh, memorial foundations, the uh, Churchill Memorial Foundation. They have uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Association. They have a foundation for a lot of these guys that uh, did major favors for them. And guess what? On the board of trustees of these foundations, there will be current members. That's typical of the way they operate. Well, okay, uh, now here's an interesting character, Norman B. Ream, R-E-A-M, death 1915. 
was considered one of the 25 wealthiest Americans in his time. He was a director of United States Steel, New York Trust, Pullman Company, which manufactured railroad cars, Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, Chicago Board of Trade, Sussex Realty, Cumberland Corporation, Franco-American Financial Association, Equitable Life Assurance Society, Fidelity Phoenix Fire Assurance, Nabisco, which is National Biscuit Company, Central Safety Deposit Company, Metropolitan Trust Company, etc. Ream was an Episcopalian. Now, one of the most important members in his time, Andrew Carnegie, died in 1919, Crown Loyalist. He created Carnegie Steel, later bought by a consortium led by J.P. Morgan Sr., which became U.S. Steel, which was run by Pilgrim Society members. Carnegie left several tax-exempt foundations working for Anglo-American world empire ambitions, and for years, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, a warmongering entity, underwrote the Bilderberg meeting expenses naturally with Pilgrim Society members like Joseph S. Reed Johnson as trustees of the Carnegie Endowment. Henry Clues, C-L-E-W-S, death 1923, an Episcopalian who was described in the New York Times February 1, 1923 as, quote, a notable Wall Street figure for more than 60 years, unquote. The 1915 Who's Who in America, page 461, info he provided shows no mention of the Pilgrim's Society. He's in the leak rosters. He married Lucy Madison Worthington, who was the grandniece of President Madison. And she was also the great-great-granddaughter of General Andrew Lewis, who was second in command to George Washington. At the start of the Civil War, Clues, was appointed by Treasury Secretary Salmon P. Chase, for whom Chase National Bank was named, as government financial agent in the sale of bond issues so the war could be continued. Later, President Grant made Clues fiscal agent of United States government for all foreign nations and agent of organizing new financial system of Japan by President Grant's recommendation. Clues was twice offered to be Treasury Secretary he was a trustee of Ohio Northern University, member of America, uh, New York Stock Exchange, and was an official of Warmonger Fronts, International Peace Forum, American Peace League, and the Japan Peace Society, and a director of the Anna Silver Economic Club of New York City. His nephew James was in the Pilgrims 1914 list and was a member of the Anna Silver Bankers Club and married into the tremendous Livingston dynasty, uh, which is known for the Louisiana purchase of over 800,000 square miles, and more members of the Livingston genealogy can be found in Pilgrim Society USA dynasties than any other single dynasty. Henry White, death 1927, an aide to President Woodrow Wilson called White, quote, the most accomplished diplomatist this country has ever produced, unquote. White leading the USA delegation to the Treaty of Versailles in Paris in 1919, acted in planned concert with his pilgrim partner, Englishman, to guarantee Germany, that's Lord Curzon, to guarantee Germany would be forced into desperation 
and turn to a military dictator to start a second world war. It only required another generation to grow up to be young men. Earlier, White was ambassador to Italy and France, and he married into the very old line Dutch colonial New Netherlands landowning Stuyvesant family in 1879. In this tangled genealogy, we note also Winthrop's of Massachusetts Bay Colony, Harriman's of Union Pacific Railroad fortune, and the Vanderbilt's of a still larger railroad fortune. Henry White ran the U.S. delegation in 1910 to the Union of American Republics, later called the Pan American Union, and in 1948 was renamed the Organization of American States, an attempt at regional world government, which is still active. In 1920, White married Emily Vanderbilt of the Pilgrims Society Vanderbilt Railroad Fortune. Henry Clay Pierce, 1927 death, considered the fourth wealthiest man in America in his time, had industrial holdings all over Mexico, oil kingpin, chairman Pierce Oil Corporation, which later merged into Standard Oil, chairman National Rail Railways of Mexico, chairman Mexican Central Railway, Tennessee Construction Company, Tennessee Central Railroad, Mexican National Construction Company, Pierce Investment Trust, Baltimore and Ohio Southwestern Railroad, Seaboard Railway, Mexican Pacific Railway, a lot of these had to do with mining interests, by the way, Mexican American Steamship Company, Mexican and Northern Steamship Company, Tampico Harbor Dock Company, Briar Hill Collieries, National Bank of Commerce, Mississippi Valley Trust Company, American Central Insurance, Tyler Garanti Trust, Mexican Fuel Company, Mercantile Fire and Marine Insurance, Mexican Bank of Commerce and Industry, International Banking Corporation. Now, page 124 of America's 60 Families in 1937 stated, quote, Pierce put up the money behind Francisco Madero and started the Mexican Revolution of 1911. Yeah, let me take a break. <laughs> well, you know, with war, these guys, it's so obvious now to me, you know, I, I'll admit it, I was even behind uh, George W. Bush and the, you know, going into Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, you know, I, that was my uh, kind of break into following politics. And then a few years down the road, as I began to look more into things and look past the headlines, I realized, oh, my God, they, they push us into these wars so they can, well, for one, they can profit off of them afterwards. But they're already planning how they're going to profit and, and how they're going to change laws and different things like that before the wars ever come. And and it's just so obvious to me now that uh, they pushed for just like they did the Boer Wars. They pushed for World War One. And when they didn't get the League of Nations, they said, we'll form the United Nations a few years later. They were already planning it, I think, you know, and then they pushed us into World War Two and uh, they do that to. For one, to make a fortune, and for two, to take away our rights and destroy our sovereignty, and and so that's kind of like one of their ways of accumulating more and more wealth and power is, is through wars. Well, yeah, it's very instructive that the uh, the at the founding of the Pilgrims London, 
they did have Lord Roberts, uh, Field Marshal, uh, the Boer War uh, situation. He was a war criminal, by the way, a terrible war criminal. And uh, and uh, then over here they had brass from surviving brass from the Civil War. Both sides of the Civil War came in. Some of them did, uh, and I believe it was to help them plan World War One. And they consistently had uh, top-ranking uh, generals and admirals in the group ever since then, and sometimes on their executive committee. It's just amazing because like, if you look back, you know, Vietnam, I mean, you name it, every every war that's, that's happened in the modern era or even back to, uh, you know, maybe even back to the Civil War. I, I haven't studied that far back, but you can find fingerprints of these groups of people, the same groups you know, and, and of course the guys, they die and then their sons or their son-in-laws, whoever takes over and they join the same groups and it just goes on and on and on. And it, it's just like a, you can, you can follow it. It's like a tree branch, you know, you just follow the tree branch and there you'll find members of the pilgrims and the CFR and Chatham house and all that. That's right. Now let's see, I'll give you some more names. Baron, B-A-R-R-O-N, Baron Collier, death, 1939 was an American advertising entrepreneur who became the largest landowner and developer in the U.S. state of Florida, as well as the owner of a chain of hotels, bus lines, several banks, newspapers, a candy company, and of a telephone company and a steamship line. Collier County, Florida bears his name. Baron Collier persuaded the U.S. government to join Interpol. Henry H. Flagler of Standard Oil, another Pilgrims member, was the second largest Florida landowner and has a county name for him. He owned railroads and hotels in Florida. Alexander Siemens, death 1928. Founder of Siemens, the largest industrial corporation of Europe today with around 300,000 employees was a member. George Westinghouse, 1914, founded Westinghouse Electric and held copper mining claims in Arizona another member and uh lord leverhulme in the london branch lever Bro lever brothers conglomerate it's their counterpart to our procter and gamble thomas fortune ryan death 1928 of whom it was said quote if he had enough time he'd have all the money in the world unquote dominated in 30 corporations dealing in insurance, diamonds, machine guns, electric power, railroads, real estate, tobacco, construction, typewriters, banks, coal mining, and was regarded among the 10 wealthiest men in America. He had his own private railway station built for his main mansion. In 1905, Ryan swindled bond investors out of $35 million and got completely away with it. He appointed Pilgrim Society member former president Grover Cleveland, an anti-silver activist to some of his corporate boards. In 1912, Ryan was a delegate to the Democrat National Convention. And these people uh, stand in both camps. Ryan's great-great-granddaughter married the 13th Earl of Airlie, a global merchant banker close to the royal family and among the most important members of the Pilgrim Society of London, one of the characters who've looted the worldwide British Empire for centuries. Now, 
Sir Edgar Speyer, S-P-E-Y-E-R, yep, he was Jewish. That's going to satisfy somebody out there. <laughs> Died in 1932. Now, he appears in the Pilgrim's London 1920 list, but he's absent from the next list I have, which is 1924. In 1921, King George V evicted Spire for membership in the King's Privy Council. And apparently also at the same time, he was ejected from the pilgrims. It's the royals who decide who's going to be a member and who's not. Everyone screams about the Rothschilds funding Cecil Rose. Yeah, okay, we went over about the diamond. Now, the royal family has final say as to who will be admitted into the pilgrims and final say in case of expulsions. Now, the royal family has ancestry, royal ancestry all over Europe. And the royals are above the financiers. Everything I see tells me that. Paul yeah, Warburg, I, go ahead. Yeah, can I ask you a question on that? So, yeah, I know there's controversy over the Rothschilds because, you know, they, they're probably the most infamous family in banking. But, you know, I hear that their original last name was Bauer. That's and some right. say that. Some say they're not even uh, of Jewish descent, that they're actually of German descent. Do you have any kind of uh, ideas about that? Well, you know, that's something I haven't studied um, a, a lot. But yeah, B-A-U-E-R. I had, uh, well, actually, I've got some cousins named Ziegelbauer, <laughs> but they're <laughs> no relation that I know of. Um, they, they did start out as Bauer <clears throat> in Germany and uh uh, was it like 1743? Uh, they were not prominent in finance early on like the Fugers were. That's a very interesting dynasty. Um, but um, they became known as Roth. It's actually Rothschilds. Hmm. There is no such thing as a Rothschild, actually. It's, it's Rothschild. R-O-T-H is red in German. And Schild, S-C-H-I-L-D, is a shield. Red shield. Uh, which probably mean is an allusion to blood on uh, military equipment uh, having to do with them financing conflicts. Um, the Rothschilds, they have uh, links by marriage to groups like the Oppenheimers and the Guggenheims. The Oppenheimers and the Guggenheim, both, both um, Jewish ancestry and German ancestry. Uh, but guess what? <clears throat> The Oppenheimers, who had almost a million employees all over Africa in all kind of mining enterprises, and the Guggenheims, who dominated the Western Hemisphere, copper mining and, and smelting of metals, ASARCO, American Smelting and Refining Company, guess what? They both converted to Anglican Episcopal Church. Okay? Wow. They, yes, <laughs> and, and, and right now, uh, on the executive committee of the Pilgrims, New York. Uh, oh, geez. You have to understand that at some point I have trouble uh, pulling up a fact out of my head because. Uh, you got so much in there. You know, okay. <laughs> I, I just got it. Peter O. Lawson Johnson, L-A-W-S-O-N-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. He has Guggenheim maternal ancestry. And the Lawson Johnson started out in the food industry making gravy for food. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. I've got it all detailed in uh, 
at No Silver Nationalization. It's like 384 page thing on uh, one of the mining forces. But but anyway, it's a tangle web, but it's Episcopalian because I mean it all. It's like the royals are the big magnet of the universe, and they're happy for people to think that somebody else is at the top. Well, yeah. I, was about to, yeah. I was about to talk about Paul Warburg when you cut me off, but you know I I'm need sorry. you to do that occasionally because I'm running out of steam. <laughs> Paul Warburg died in 1933. Now he ran the Bank of Manhattan, which eventually merged into Chase Manhattan Bank. He also ran other entities. He played a major role in planning the Federal Reserve System, which is patterned after the Bank of England. His brother Felix, also a Pilgrims member, Warburg was chairman of International Acceptance Bank of New York and also of International Acceptance Securities and Trust, director of Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, Union Pacific Railroad, Los Angeles and Salt Lake Railroad, Western Union Telegraph, Farmers Loan and Trust, First National Bank of Boston, and foreign-based chemical industry giants. In 1910, Paul became a Wells Fargo Bank director, which is now the country's fifth largest mega bank, resigning in 1914 to take the dominant seat on the Federal Reserve Board. His associate, Jacob Schiff, a Charter Pilgrims member in 1903, took his seat on the Wells Fargo Board and Schiff was a prominent activist against silver money. Schiff's grandson, who became treasurer of the Pilgrims, was also a Los Angeles and Salt Lake Railroad director and represented the Getty oil fortune in the Pilgrims, while J. Paul Getty himself apparently never became a member but had proxy representation. Now, Schiff's great-grandson, uh, a Pilgrims executive committee member as of 2014, Guess what? David Tavili Schiff in the Who's Who lists himself as Episcopalian, <laughs> the Royal Family's Church and the Royal Family's Secret Society. Now, David T. Schiff also has ancestry from George F. Baker Sr., who was the top banker in New York for many years and who said that the new silver dollars in 1878 should have been tossed into the ocean. And he was on the board of directors of at least 52 railroad corporations. Wow. Okay, everybody <laughs> raves about how much wealth Jews have, but what I see is Anglican Episcopalians by far at the top by a runaway margin. Now, you want to hear about another Jewish character, possibly? Uh, Richard Sutro, S U T R O, died in 1930. He was prominent in world finance for a third of a century. His daughter May, M-A-Y, married into the Rothschilds dynasty. The July 2, 1989 New York Times mentioned a Richard Sutro Rothschild, probably another Pilgrim Society member. The original Richard Sutro was a member of the Anti-Silver Bankers Club. Say, uh, greed does trans transcend all religious groups and the Anti-Silver Economic Club, and a director of Connecticut Electric Service Company, Connecticut Light and Power, Connecticut Electric Syndicate, Pittsburgh and West Virginia Railway, Westchester and Boston Railroad, Tennessee Copper and Chemical Corporation, 
West Side Railroad, Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad, Southern Agricultural Chemical Company, Pierce Oil Corporation, we mentioned Henry Clay Pierce, and others. Now, Sutro's family financed the Sutro Tunnel in Nevada, which started at Virginia City, you know, like the cart rides on Bonanza, and went through six miles of rock so that the Comstock Lowe's silver mines could get drainage. This large engineering and construction venture was the pioneer of all large-scale drainage and access excavation tunnels in these United States. Wow, people just don't realize how important the railroad, the railroads and that industry was and, and still is to, the, to our world. I mean, the fortunes that have been made because of it and through it is just uh, it's just absolutely staggering. Um, and one quickly, one thing I, I hate to go back, but uh, with the uh, the shifts now, I, I've read conflicting stories, but you had mentioned before early on about how, uh, you know, these big, big business had had uh, sometimes funded communism and, and oh yes yeah i know gary allen talks about that or talked about that and so did uh, anthony sudden uh the best enemies money can buy and some of those great books but um i've read that schiff actually i think he was working for kuhn and loeb and uh some say he funded trotsky uh going back to england or i mean to russia to start the uh bolshevik revolution uh i don't With know if lord that's milner uh, okay, there we go. Back to the the roads, <laughs> the roads group. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, it's just I read that uh, I believe um, I can't remember if it's the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers or maybe both actually funded the uh, Japanese Russo War because uh, the the Russians wouldn't give them the uh, rights to their oil you know, their oil mines and their, their land that had oil on it. So they decided to uh, fund the, the Japanese to kind of fight the, the Russians. So, you know, this is a, it's a crazy, crazy tangled web. Well, yeah, in the 1920s, uh, two members of the Pilgrims acted uh, to maintain the Soviet res in control over Russia. And one of them is named Alvin W. Kretsch, K-R-E-C-H, who headed equitable trust company and the other was albert h wigan of chase national bank now wigan uh, was a unitarian but together they were on over 100 corporate boards at the time and equitable trust later merged into chase national bank um, so they sold these bolshevik bonds to the network of pilgrim society dynasties and kept the reds in power and uh okay here's another one 1934, Charles R. Flint, F-L-I-N-T. He founded what became IBM Corporation and several other interests and is remembered as the father of trusts, meaning concentrated industrial combinations. Flint founded the Computing Tabulating Recording Company in 1911, known since 1924 as IBM Corporation. Flint was an IBM director 1930 to 1934 when he died. Starting in 1876, Flint arranged to be foreign consul general in New York for the governments of Chile, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica. In 1892, Flint formed 
United States Rubber Company, and in 1899, he consolidated the chewing gum industry, reflective of his interest in Central and South American countries. He was a founder of the, <coughs> pardon me, Automobile Club of America, <coughs> reflecting his rubber interests. The 1928 to 29, who's who? Pages 782 to 783. Info he supplied shows in 1885, he joined Flint and Company Founded in 1837, that's during the panic of 1837 to take advantage of distressed assets by his father and an uncle, which were involved in general merchandise, lumber, shipbuilding, and dealing in distressed properties. In 1889 to 1890, Flint was a member of the International Conference on the American Republics. He represented the United States. Correction. He represented interests which would later form the Pilgrims Society on the banking committee of that conference. And he formulated an idea for an international American bank later achieved by other Pilgrims members, the Inter-American Development Bank, and suggested a Bureau of American Republics also later accomplished by other members. In 1893, Flint, quote, fitted out a fleet of war vessels for Brazil purchased Esmeralda cruiser from Chile and delivered to Japan during the China-Japan War of 1895, established Pacific Coast Clipper Line <clears throat> between New York and San Francisco in 1896, consolidated street railways in Syracuse, New York in 1897, confidential agent of the United States negotiating for war vessels in 1898, sold Russian government 20 submarine and torpedo boats, 1904 to 1905, acted as organizer in the formation of American Chickley Company, it's chewing gum, American Hawaiian Steamship Company, American Woolen Company, Auto Sales, Gum and Chocolate Company, that's vending machines, candy bars, Clarksburg Fuel Company, West Virginia, Computing Scale Company of America, Fairmount Coal Company, International Time Recording Company, Mechanical Rubber Company of America, National Starch Company, Rubber Goods Manufacturing, Somerset Coal Company, United States Bobbin and Shuttle Company, that's sewing machines, and others. He chaired the American Committee for Encouragement of Democratic Government in Russia, suspiciously named as other Pilgrims members financed the Red Revolution, overthrowing the Czars. Flint was a member of the Anti-Silver Bankers Club in Manhattan. Now, on Flint's demise, we know who took over IBM Corporation. That's Thomas J. Watson, Sr. His son, Thomas J. Watson, Jr., and his other son, Arthur K. Watson, became members and IBM executives. They had a son, John N. Irwin II, who became... Uh, an IBM official, and they held ambassadorships to France and uh, the Soviet Union. Quickly, uh, the IBM, now, they they helped the Nazis quite a bit from what I remember, didn't they? Oh, well, this, this stuff is a, if you've ever seen the roots of a uh, cypress tree in the swamp, I mean, it's, it's more convoluted and complex than all that. And sometimes I have to get away from the computer 
or I have to get away from some dusty books in old libraries that nobody ever looks at, and they're not online, where I'm mining information, I have to get outside and clear my head because my head is just spinning from all this infamy. Yeah, I can imagine so. All the names and the businesses and the connections, it's amazing. It's amazing what you've been able to pull up. I mean, it's nobody's talking about this. You know, you, one thing that I've noticed is this group, this cadre or whatever people want to call them, you know, they've got all kinds of different names, you know, quickly called them circles within circles, but all these groups, uh, they control the freaking history. You know, they, they hired, uh, what was his name? Uh, was it Schlesinger? I think Schlesinger, no, I'm sorry, Toynbee. Toynbee, you know, he was a Arnold big, Toynbee, yeah. Yeah, he was a, the big English uh, well-respected historian. Well, they, he was on their payroll, you know, and I'm sure that they did the same exact thing. In fact, I know they do. I just can't remember uh, one of the main guys that they hired here in the States to do the, the history of like the CFR and all that. They write the history, so you don't know any of this stuff Charles is talking about. That's right, and... Uh... Well, I mean, I could really get upset about, and I do get upset about when I hear there's this guy on YouTube, uh, what's his name, Mike Maloney, 653,000 subscribers, and he's put out something about the cause of the Great Depression saying the Federal Reserve caused the Great Depression. Uh, no, it did not. I mean, it sounds reasonable, right? But uh, if you want to hear about what caused the depression, it's in Maneco 64 interview from last July. England's attack on the use of silver as currency in the world caused the depression. Uh, and uh, I've asked for a correction and I'm still waiting. And uh, if somebody wants to correct me, well, if you can document where I'm wrong, I'll correct it. All right, guys, that was part one of Pilgrim's not Patriots, with Charles Savoy, where he gave us more history on the shady connections to the Pilgrim Society, this whole secretive group that's connected to the Rhodes Roundtables and the CFR and Chatham House, Brookings Institute, World Affairs Council, and all the rest. And see, these guys have made history through their organizations through their networking and again carol quigley called them the network and this network is global it's local it's state it's national it's global and these are the guys who are still in charge it's like a very very organized mafia so thank you once again for taking the time to listen i hope you're having a great week. I want to thank my patrons. I want to thank Chris, Rooster, Flat Dark, Thaddeus, Kilowatt, Sir Tim of the Tunnels, Aaron, David, Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Check out his show. He got kicked off Twitter, so give him some love on Instagram. And thank you, James. I will talk to you guys soon. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See ya. And I tell you, I'll take this, I'll, I'll tell you right now, when I speak about these things, and you'll know it when you leave here, it comes from right here in my gut. Go to South Dakota, and Oregon, and Washington, and Michigan, and then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah!
I'll make our government open and transparent so that anyone can ensure that our business is the people's business. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking, because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president.
fundamentally transforming the United States of America.